Welcome to episode 111 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. And we are coming to you in uh, following a Blue Jays mini-series against the Philadelphia Phillies, which they split. And at this particular moment, the Seattle Mariners, not out of nowhere, but I don't know, if I told you a few weeks ago that the Seattle Mariners would be absolutely breathing down the Blue Jays' necks the last playoff spot, it wouldn't have seemed like an overly likely scenario. But here we are on Thursday. The Seattle Mariners are 0.5 games behind the Toronto Blue Jays. Stoughton, what is your level of fear vis-a-vis these Mariners closing in and booting the Blue Jays out of a playoff position? <laughs> uh, I mean, they might do that for a little while. Um, I'm not really afraid of the Mariners, though, to be perfectly honest. Um, you know, they're, they're, they are who we thought they were, I guess. Uh, they're, you know, they're maybe better than to have been uh, out of the race as early as they were. I mean, they traded their closer. But, like, they, they went on that run there. They won a bunch of games in a row. Uh, any team's going to look better uh, when they've been winning a bunch. It doesn't mean that they're a team that's going to keep winning a bunch, especially when there's, like, nothing fundamental that's changed. I mean, Julio's kind of come around, and that is uh, obviously a big thing for them. But, uh, you know... Uh, I'll be worried about them uh, if they're still there in you know mid September. I don't, I don't, I don't rate them. I'm not nervously hoping for the Kansas City Royals to come through. You know that seems like a waste of energy. But uh, but have fun, <laughs> whoever's doing it. I, I think that's a pretty cavalier attitude for a team that's uh, <laughs> you know point five games back of the Blue Jays, uh, better by run differential. Obviously not a perfect metric by any means. But yeah, I don't know. There, I like you said, it is it is a team that sort of prior to the season you would have said, oh, this is a team that will be in the thick of a playoff race of a wild card race. They've got you know they've got Julio, like you said, Julio's starting to look like Julio, which is yeah, he's a very dynamic player, can be one of the most dynamic position players in the league. It is funny that you know there was this talk and you know i never really believed that teoscar hernandez was coming back to the blue jays or whatever but you can kind of see the snide twitter remarks writing themselves about how the blue jays should just offered a little bit more for teoscar hernandez not that he is driving their success by any means no um but just like kind of plying prying anything away from this team because you know they've got a really they got a really strong rotation here, at least a strong, really strong top three guys. They've got a strong, at least sort of top of the of the start. Sorry, the lineup, and yeah, there's some there's some good stuff at the back of this bullpen too. I, I don't know. I don't know if I would be like. Let me put it this way: if in the same position, like literally, you flipped the Red Sox and. Mariners in the standings, I would have your attitude towards the situation where I would say, <laughs> yeah, sure, the Mariner, you know, sure, the Red Sox are half a game behind the Blue Jays, but this is a markedly worse team and I'm not so concerned about it. But when it comes to the Mariners, I would be a little bit more hesitant to say, oh, this is like definitively a worse team than the Blue Jays. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I think that's probably fair. I, I mean, I think they're worse, but, but you know, I, I I probably, if I actually looked at it, I don't think I would necessarily come to that same conclusion, uh, especially, you know, the way some of the Blue Jays hitters are going this year. Um, but, you know, I mean, no matter what, the Jays are going to have to, you know, do what's, uh, you know, win out and win win all these games on the, you know, it's, it, it's really down to them. And I don't know that I... I'm worried about scoreboard watching, and as long as they take up, take care of their end of the bargain, uh, I don't think it's really going to matter what the Mariners do. So, um, you know, they can float around back there; they'll drop a little bit back. I'm, I'm confident. Uh, yeah, you know, anything could happen, I suppose. But uh, I don't know. I'm not sitting around fretting about the Mariners. Fine team, though. Yes, you're not wrong. I mean, I will say that Fangraphs is in your corner. Um, as we record on Thursday evening, Fangraphs has the Blue Jays at a 67% chance to make the playoffs, whereas the Mariners at 357 So that's projecting a rest of the year win percent for the Mariners of 518 and for the Blue Jays of 556. I'm, I would put a smaller gap on it personally but i think it's a it's a respectable point of view to be like the blue jays uh you know especially in a time where 
they get Bo Bichette back and don't have to play Paul DeYoung essentially <laughs> yeah. ever again. Yes, I, yes. Mean, I, I can tell from your piece you're uh, oh, man. I you're mean, not, I, not on the DeYoung train. Jesus. I mean, it, it, it's, I mean, I just say this, like, it is very funny to me that the Blue Jays made a deal for, to avoid exactly one scenario. They traded for <laughs> yes. Paul Young to avoid a scenario where Bichette is out for a couple weeks and they have someone who gives them literally nothing. And then he goes ahead and has the worst stretch of his entire career and gives them literally nothing. So that is a pretty funny outcome. Objectively. I understand that that's a painful outcome for a lot of people, but if you can rise above the sort of partisanship, I think it's an objectively funny outcome. No, I think that's uh, a healthy way to look at it. <laughs> you know, you gotta you gotta laugh to not cry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been real grim. It sucks. It's it's tough to watch. Um, but uh, also, <laughs> hopefully, we'll stop watching it imminently when Bo comes off the IL. Yeah, that that seems like it's right around the corner. Uh, as it as we record, there hasn't been an announcement on that, but it. You know, there doesn't seem to, unless there's some kind of setback kind of out of the blue, it seems like Bichette's coming back. And the thing about Bichette, and one of the reasons I wrote uh, the piece, which you guys can find at Sportsnet, about like just how costly this absence has been, one of the reasons you can look at that in some detail is like the guy plays every day, right? So you kind of know what you're missing when Bo's gone because the alternative is him playing basically every game. And so when he gets Mm -hmm. back, as long as that knee holds up, you will see him basically every day out there, which means you basically won't see DeYoung, which, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people are happy about that. He is, he's the Brad Hand, man. Like, he's the, he's the Brad Hand of 2023. It really, it really is. It really is a, a very, I mean, yeah, Brad Hand could have kept him around longer, could, but also couldn't. Oh, Brad uh, Hand's been great uh, yeah. since he left the Blue Jays. He's been really good <laughs> wherever so he's gone. Weird. It's so, so weird. But yeah, DeYoung, you know, I mean, people are ready to DFA him or, you know, fire him into the sun or or, uh, the bottom of the sea, all those those nice things. But uh, nice glove to have around. You know, I mean, Espinel's come around a little bit, but he's got options. I'm sure that uh, the pound of flesh probably won't happen in the way that people are uh, are pining for it. But uh, that doesn't mean anybody needs to see him actually on the field. Uh, Keep that glove on the bench right next to you, Paul, and uh, (laughs) we'll call you if we need you. I mean, like, again, it's one of these things where you could make a theoretical baseball argument for bringing DeYoung in late in certain games as a replacement for Bichette, but that's actually just not going to happen. No, absolutely It's like, not. yeah, you can do this, but no, it, it just, you won't. Because, like, imagine a world, and I do want to talk a little bit about John Schneider, so we're preempting a bit of a segue here, but imagine a world where... Schneider brings in DeYoung to defend, I don't know, a three-run lead in the ninth, and then they blow it on a home run. It's not even DeYoung's fault. And then DeYoung comes up the next inning with bases loaded and strikes out or whatever. And that could have been Bichette at the plate. Like, you know, people have it out for Schneider, I think, in general. Uh, although I was at the game on Tuesday, I was surprised to hear, like, I didn't hear any boos for Schneider. It was pretty unanimous cheering. I thought that he would have some antagonists out there. But yeah, I mean, that that's kind of those are the scenarios that managers have nightmares about. And if anything, they're almost sometimes too risk averse because they are desperate to avoid something like that happening. No, I think that's yeah, absolutely true. That is that has long been true. Even any, you know, there was, I think, moments of hope in the, uh, you know, the Moneyball revolution-ish kind of days where it's like, oh, this is this is going to change and you're going to see a lot more, you know, uh the closer's not going to always pitch in the ninth and uh, you see some of that nowadays but yeah a, a lot of the uh the i'm gonna get flamed so hard for this if it backfires uh does does seem to have an effect of keeping uh keeping certain strategies from uh being employed even though they might on paper make more sense yeah i think that it we've seen instances of guys who have been kind of dogmatic about following what sort of is in theory the right move as a manager and you know Gabe Kapler has been that guy at times uh Dave Roberts at times with the Dodgers and the backlash to that is just very intense like people if something is unconventional and it doesn't work people get really fired up about it because they can easily envision something that in their mind would have worked which is just to do the normal thing so don't be an idiot uh <laughs> and that that does 
prevent some level of uh, innovative strategy sometimes. Again, this is a weird rabbit hole because I'm not suggesting like there's a the Blue Jays, what's going to hold the Blue Jays back is that they're too scared to use Paul DeYoung as a defensive replacement. <laughs> No, but I do think that that the, yeah, there that's there's definitely an effect there. I mean, we saw it in a different like non-statistical way. I think a bit last year, like you know, because consumer confidence is a bit of a thing, and then also you know the the players don't necessarily think that differently than the fans, and you know people would always. He's not getting ejected. He's not. He's not doing these big demonstrative uh, struts out to the umpire and getting in guys' faces and, and standing up for his guy. You know, people that really bristled. People uh, rubbed them the wrong way. Uh, you know, the fact that Schneider's more inclined to do that doesn't seem to help him. But that's such is the nature of fandom. Um, but yeah, I think that that's you know a, a case where. Uh, yeah, you could you're you're doing something a little bit different, or what, not what these people would expect, and uh, they don't think it's working, and they're not on your side, and that can kind of unravel quickly. In terms of Schneider, we had a little. I'm not even gonna say news here. News would be a stretch. We had a note in in a Bob Nightingale column again. So this is uh, as a jumping off point. I understand that there are safer cliffs you can jump off of. <laughs> But he had a line in his column today, which was basically just saying, I'll read it verbatim, John Schneider's future is uncertain if the Blue Jays are sitting at home in October. And, you know, we just discussed the Mariners, how close they are. Again, you believe that the Blue Jays probably most likely scenario is that they do make the playoffs, but it is a very real outcome, a very real possibility that they don't. And I guess I thought it'd be worth discussing, like, A, do you think that that does mean the end of Schneider? And B, do you think, does that mean that it should be the end of Schneider? I think it doesn't. I mean, <laughs> like, I could, I wouldn't put it past Ross Atkins to do something, you know, self-destructive like that. Like, put all of the energy uh, on him um, by going to, going to a third manager at this point so soon after going to a second. Um you know, I I don't know. I know that there will be a swell of people who will who will point to the manager and think that that's the reason uh, if they don't make the playoffs. But uh, I, you know, I, I the should is almost never for me. You know, I uh, I don't think that these guys matter all that much, or that they don't matter. You know, in terms of results that we can see. Uh, if the players, if he loses the room, then that's a different story. So uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I just, I, but I also don't. Yeah, I just don't see Ross putting the target on his back that that would have to do. I mean, he he elided it at the first time because um, people were ready to move on there, and clearly there was that lo- losing the room element of it. Um, but if it's just about results, then you kind of got to look at the guy who's driving the collaborative process that uh, uh, you know leads to so many decisions that people hate, and then also. Um, you know, is picking the guys on the on the roster. Yeah, it's it's interesting because there's questions you could ask that would lead you down that road. Like if you said, have the Blue Jays underperformed in 2023? I think the answer would be yes. Again, as we've talked about before, the story's not written yet. But again, we're living in a hypothetical world where they're sitting at home in October, the the Bob Nightingale world. So in that world, <laughs> oh the, boy. It, 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 Going outside of baseball, God knows what that world looks like. But <laughs> within the confines of baseball, um, it's just being John Malkovich. That scene where it's all John Malkovich. I feel it's Bob's yeah, kind of world. That would be a, a, a deep cut <laughs> film of being yeah. Bob Nightingale, only for a very small, intense subset of baseball fans. Anyway, so in that world, you would be able to answer the question. Have the Blue Jays underperformed this season, even by a significant margin? I think the answer would be yes. And then you could ask the question, is there an obvious explanation for why they underperformed? And the answer would probably be no, because the, I mean, you could point to the Manoa thing as being sort of a freak accident, but they didn't have a ton of injuries. They didn't have some I mean, there's you know the Anthony Bass incident, which we don't like to talk about too much afterwards because it was just such a shit show at the time and such an unpleasant thing to happen to the franchise. I don't think many people believe like that is the reason some thing that has caused the team on the field to underperform sort of months after the fact. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe that created such a ruckus that it had aftershocks. I can't really say that with confidence. But I guess the point is that Often, if a team is perceived to have the talent 
and doesn't perform and there isn't a clear explanation for why they didn't perform sometimes that can fall on the manager people say well you know he had the tools at his disposal he didn't make it work and so it'd be a fairish criticism i guess but it'd be a pretty broad one and like you said like he's barely had a chance right he's had part of a season and one more season and man yeah if you're ross atkins if you're that front office and you put in a third manager that you've handpicked and you've admitted that you've handpicked multiple managers here, one in 2019 and then 2022, and they've both been the wrong guy for the job. Like that, that's an indictment on you. Like it mm-hmm. really is. Like it's not even just a, oh, I need this guy as a, as a meat shield. Like there's that to it. It's like, oh, you can always fire the manager first and that's a lever you can pull. But it's also like, if you tell me, okay, Schneider's the wrong man for the job, and I believe you, and I say, okay, cool, that's the right move. He was the wrong man for the job, and you're moving on. How am I supposed to trust that you're going to find the right man for the job? Because <laughs> you've just fucked it up twice, according to you. Not even a court. Like, it's not yeah. even my judgment. You're telling me, oh, I've done this twice, and each time I've absolutely blown it. Watch me find <laughs> a third guy. It's going to be sick. It's like, and it, what? It's almost. <laughs> It's almost like he's done it three times in a way, like you know, because he had a chance, you know, to replace Charlie as the interim guy, and then had a chance to go back on it then and didn't. Yeah, so it that would put them in, like I think basically to pull this lever on Schneider, you'd have to be so convinced that he was terrible and unsalvageable, and simultaneously you'd have to really believe that you had some kind of ace in the hole with somebody else. And considering Schneider was the guy who was sort of in the organization, like he was sort of the ace in the hole. Kind mm-hmm. of like he was the guy they had all along that they really liked. And I, it doesn't seem likely that there's just another guy. And Schneider had some of these unique characteristics in that he had long um, relationships with these players and he had managed them successfully in the minors. Like that's that made him a bit of a unique candidate. There's no one else in the organization who fits that type of criteria, has those type of special characteristics. So then you're like, okay, I've got an ace in the hole and he's someone we don't really know from outside the organization who has no relationships with anyone here and he's the one to steer this room. It's like, that is a lot of factors to have to come together for it to make sense. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And also, you know, for Schneider, like, was was he not supposed to write Vlad's name on the, uh, on the lineup card every night? Was he not supposed to write... Springer's name, like what? What would he have done wrong? I mean, how does how does anything he has done uh, compared to uh, not getting what you expected out of two of your, you know, genuine like real core top three, four, you know, players on your team? You know, uh, that's uh, that would make it, I think, really hard to swallow for a lot of people to, uh, and, and why I don't think we, you know, need to need to go on about it too much because I just I don't think you know. Again, the the bath the bath thing. You, you wonder if sometimes if these folks are uh, you know, have their fingers on the pulse, but I don't think that he would do it to himself. Where where he has to you know wear all that would come with getting rid of another manager so soon and under such you know you know sort of spurious reasons. Yeah, I think the Blue Jays' happy hour consensus is that we're going to chalk that up to one of the distortions of uh, Bob Nightingale world. <laughs> Or may I mean it also might be one of those situations, and sometimes you see this um, happen with sort of media reporting. It's not a report; it's sort of speculation. Like sometimes this will be sources who are kind of sending a weather balloon up there to see what the reaction is, and so they'll tell someone, "Oh, that we're kind of thinking this," and then that gets out. And more than anything, they're curious to see how people are going to react to that, as opposed to that being something that they're they feel serious about doing. Um, in which case we're participating in it and, uh, our participation is to be that we reject the weather balloon. So, which is not, I don't think, I don't think it's us being like in the bag for Schneider by any means. I don't have strong feelings of positivity. Uh, he just seems like one of the many guys who would more or less be fine at this job, which as you say, is less important than it used to be and more collaborative and all that good stuff. Yeah. And he, you know, I don't know. I don't think he's bad with the media and that's a big part of it too. So. And like the on-field stuff's generally speaking fine. Like he doesn't bunt. Uh, he seems to make, uh, I don't know, there's some pinch hitting things you could quibble with, but whatever. It's mainly fine. The bullpen stuff usually makes sense. Uh, you know, he doesn't do an insane amount of steals or anything. Like maybe a couple more intentional walks than you want. Like that's the most 
you could really say about his tactics like yeah it's all fine it's good i mean it's just so silly because it goes it, it, it goes on and on forever and i think we're probably only getting worse like the fact of of uh, you know, people hate these guys until they don't. They, they're like, oh, the team's losing. This guy is bad. And every decision is sort of through that lens. And then, you know, people didn't like Charlie for a long time. And then they had some good runs. And it's like, oh, yeah. You know, don't hear that complaint very much. Gibby is the, uh, is the like, huge example. You know, people couldn't stand fighting with his players. And they're like, I miss that guy who fought with his players. <laughs> and, the, and then it's like, oh, what a terrible decision to bring him. Nobody would, nobody else would hire him. And he brought him back. And then, you know, 2015 happens. It's like, oh, Gibby's a genius again. And the most beloved guy, you know, outside of Cito in the history history of the, the the franchise it's it's just you know, these, these fickle fans how dare they <laughs> how dare they yeah i mean like let's have a a referendum on how the manager's doing on the morning of september 12th this year after the blue jays have played the guardians followed by the nationals followed by the rockies followed by the athletics followed by the royals i imagine at that time he might seem pretty smart if I had the, to guess, I would suppose that's true. Also, I mean, pretty idiot-proof bullpen they're uh, about to have if they don't already. Yeah, it's a it's a fantastic group, and we kind of saw that really on Tuesday when we had the the first instance of the double Jordan, which is uh, which is what they're going to be counting on, kind of going forward. And so having, I mean, it's, everyone knew conceptually this is probably what it's going to be. It's going to be Hicks in the eighth. It's going to be Romano in the ninth. And first of all, in that particular game, they were fantastic. Like Hicks had his best outing as a Blue Jay. He struck out all three guys. He was totally in command. Then Romano came in and he was throwing basically as hard as hard as we've seen him throw this year. One of the best velocities, even, you know, it's a handful of pitches, but we just don't see him throw that hard. Usually looks like the rest has done him some good. And suddenly, you know, Chad Green is on the way. And we know this group is good, and you can look at the stats, and you can kind of split it out. Like, what's the RA like? And it's you know, it's probably a top five group, almost however you want to slice it. It's tough with bullpens to quantify sometimes, uh, especially on ERA. But if the Blue Jays are gonna do that thing where they make the playoffs, the whole sixty-seven percent probability or whatever it is. It was a long time here, and it feels like this talk has maybe died down a little bit, but it was quite a long time in the wake of the Kansas City Royals having their runs where everyone seemed to say what you really need to win in the playoffs is to have the Super Bullpen. And I kind of find myself wondering, you know, when the Blue Jays have everything shake out here and they have Chad Green back, and maybe that means that Jay Jackson isn't around and Chad... Uh, yeah, I guess it's, you know, it's, or Bowden Francis isn't around. Um, no, it would be Jay Jackson probably because then you get Trevor Richards too. Yeah, well, I think both the, those two. Yeah, those Francis two and, out. Francis and, he, and Jackson and, and, and Richard Green, and Green. Like, yeah. is the Blue Jays bullpen something that rises to that level of like, oh, this is a real playoff difference maker. This is something that makes me specifically believe that the Blue Jays are suited to these type of games. I mean, I think it's a little more quantity over quality, I would say. Um, but it's real, real good. I mean, you know, it's like it's a, it's just that it's like a bunch of really well above average guys, and that's maybe t- being unkind to Jordan Romano, who's been great and who you know, it's easy to feel negative about your own closer when you're watching. You know, you watch the odd game where he blows it, and it doesn't always feel like it's automatic the way it does when you're watching your guys you know flail away at, at some other team's closer. Um, but they, but he, he, he doesn't, and, and, you know, Hicks has the command issues and it does, it doesn't quite feel like, it's not like watching the Orioles when Bautista, right? It's not like it, 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 there's, they're not quite at that level, but there's just so many of them where, you know, the games can be really, really short, which uh, with the guys that they do have with the days off in the playoffs, with the starters, you know, that they have, I mean, it, it's, it's going to be tough to score runs on this team when they, you know, actually, you know, <laughs> unless they let the stupid fucking Mariners catch them, uh, like they they are very well set up. I think it's great. I don't know if it uh, uh, you know rises quite to that you know dominance level, um, you know where they have like a three headed monster like like the the Royals maybe did, but uh, real good, real good. I and I'm and this is probably my my bias just because I haven't seen enough of Jordan Hicks the good as opposed to you know one one iffy command uh, outing in four or five or whatever it's been it probably be more than that but uh you know that that sort of tips the balance in a way that that 
that you know you see them more often and you'll feel more confident about those those kind of things not happening quite as much yeah and i think you know again you're probably right in terms of the three-headed monster at like the very very top of their bullpen not quite being online with some other guys you know i think swanson deserves mention as someone who's like a true leverage innings guy i know that he's had a few bumps along the road but in terms of his overall body of work over the last two seasons like it is very very good it kind of depends we just don't know what chad green is going to be realistically i think what it does do maybe it's not a scenario where it's like oh the blue jays have a one run lead in the seventh this game is done like i'm not sure if it's that it might be more situation where if something goes even the slightest bit awry with their starter and they're wondering like should we leave him in or should we just pass it over like this is a group I think you can feel really good about passing it over to, especially when you're talking about a playoff situation where you maybe have those extra rest days. Like if you have a a starter who's struggling in the third, fourth or whatever, you really don't have to tolerate that with this group because although outside of Richards, there's not that, that much sort of multi-inning utility, there just isn't, there won't be a weak link, presuming that Green's okay and Richards is fine coming back from his injury. But that is something that not a lot of teams like a lot of teams really have to rely on a smaller subset of guys and so this group should be able to eat innings in those type of scenarios where you're wondering like do we have to i don't know like again we'll talk about you say kikuchi because he's been insane but if kikuchi just has one of those days where for whatever reason the the stuff is a little bit wonky and you're in the third and there's a guy on second and two outs and it's a bad matchup against a righty maybe you're just like screw it, we're just going to pull the plug and go to our guys and do a bullpen day kind of impromptu. Uh, and that's a nice luxury to have. Yeah, I, I think so. No, it's a, it, it's a really great group. And I, I do feel be, being, you know, a little, a little harsh on Romano and Hicks, but, uh, but yeah, no, nah, just, you know, we'll, we'll see. But I think you're absolutely right that those kind of days and those games, and there will be, there will be a ton of games that they can keep really short. And, you know, we're, we're going to eventually see it, you know, a bit in the regular season too, I think, you know, as, as, as things come down to the wire, but uh, yeah, it's, it's really, it's nice. It is a luxury and it is, it's a luxury that, you know, Jay Saints just haven't had since like <laughs> Dwayne Ward and Tom Hankey. Like uh, there's been good relievers to come and go here, but like a, a up and down the bullpen, like best ERA bullpen in the, in the, the sport kind of thing. They're not quite there. I don't think, but um yeah, it's it, you just you trust pretty much everybody there, and that's just wild to think of when you go back and remember Shun Yamaguchi and Rafael Dolis, <laughs> and you know the the drag that we've had to sort of fear, of, you know, coming out of the, that gate uh, for the last few years. Yeah, I mean, even in the 2015-16 teams, right? Like there was that idea that you get into that game that's. Yeah, in the seventh, and it's a tie game, and you almost don't feel good about the game, even though no team has the advantage, because even though you have a good lineup, you have whatever, you got the Donaldsons and Bautistas of the world, you know the other team's going to have insane arms, and it didn't really feel like the Blue Jays did. And and again, you, you know, you can have different interpretations of Romano and Hicks in terms of how they stack up with the very, very best in the league, but... I if the Blue Jays are in a game that's kind of I don't know in the fifth sixth inning and it's getting late and it's tied there just is I think there's some level of confidence that they can get something done late in the game and if anything might have the advantage over their opponents and just in their more recent playoff era that just hasn't been the case. No, definitely. I mean, well, what what happened when Brett Cecil got hurt? Right. I mean, they, they could not weather that. Yeah, and uh, that's a tough. Uh, I don't. Know, I, that sounds worse as a sentence than it was in real life because <laughs> he was actually really, really good that year. Yes, but, uh, yes. but just as like a sentence to remember, it's like, man, when Brett Cecil went down, uh, that was brutal. <laughs> like I could yeah. also tell you a sentence. Anyone wants to feel better about the Seattle Mariners and the looming threat of them uh, that were split on their bullpen does include Taylor Saucedo and Trent Thornton right now. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's again that sentence doesn't provide much context i'm not going to tell you how well those pitchers have done with the mariners or how big their role is or anything like that uh, or guys that might be on the il for uh seattle but i'll just tell you that sentence and maybe that sentence alone will soothe some nerves in terms of the discrepancy between the blue jays and the mariners 
I think that's fair. It, it does. It certainly does for me. Not that I have nerves, apparently. Another connection between the Seattle Mariners and the Toronto Blue Jays is that they've both enjoyed and not enjoyed the Yusei Kikuchi experience. And now this is, uh, we're in uncharted waters here with a pitcher that now everyone loves to love after hating to hate, I guess, last year, I think. I think people, there was a lot of sort of pity, I guess, for Kikuchi. People didn't really despise him. They kind of felt bad for the situation. This is a guy who just won a pitcher's duel with Zach Wheeler, who I believe as of Thursday <laughs> le crazy. led the National League in war for, uh, for starters. Since the second half or the All-Star game, which is just weird, we, we kind of all accept that that's first half, second half, even though it's just not. But anyway, that's the terminology we use. In the second half, he leads qualified pitchers in ERA at 129, FIP 215, and WAR 1.4. He has not allowed a home run since July 6th. These are all <laughs> absurd, truly absurd numbers. Even, again, easy to be dismissive, easy to say small sample. Small sample, yes. Is he this good a pitcher? No. But even doing this in a small sample is just truly beyond the pale based on our earlier understanding of Kikuchi, even, even earlier in this year when things were kind of turning around but in a more modest way. What is going on with Yusei Kikuchi? Just put it that simply. <laughs> I mean, down ballot Cy Young votes. Uh, maybe he is this good. Uh, obviously, the Blue Jays did always see something in him, right? I mean, to, to go back to... You know the, the the whole contract thing and 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 the whole Kikuchi experience. Uh, it like it really seems like, and I, I haven't thought about it a ton since you know writing about how the curveball really seemed to help. Um, you know, just give him a pitch that gives him some comfort, which is something that really felt like he lacked last year. And I, I can't say that I have you know dove into the numbers per se uh, and and can point to. You know anything in particular that, that that beyond you know those narrative kind of things that I used to you know grow up hating, uh, but it just does feel like you know he's not. It just it was painful last year. He's not that guy who doesn't know where the ball is going and doesn't have you know something that he can't just flip in there for strikes that's not going to get bashed and 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 you know sometimes it was even. Uh, bashed or not he couldn't throw it for a strike he couldn't throw anything for a strike um and that really just seems to have you know just helped his comfort level as has probably the pitch clock a little bit and i don't know if it was just that i think that's probably gonna you know taking away from some of the work that he's done and did all winter and the stuff that they're doing behind the scenes with him i'm sure there's a ton you know going on to to get him into the place where you know he can he could do that and he can miss with a pitch and come back and not be afraid to go to it again or or you know just uh you know he's just looks like he's having fun out there and he's enjoying you know uh the 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 fruits of his talents which were always very evident in terms of you know how hard he can throw and the stuff that he has from the left side like it it's you know there it's always been understandable what why they saw something in his stuff and it's just it's maybe taken a little longer uh, than anyone would have liked to figure out how to harness it in the way that they sort of uh, envisioned. But, uh, you know, uh, feel good about it right now, obviously. I mean, you can't not. and You're always going to feel good about it when a guy's, you know, until the next start where he looks terrible. Um, but it's, it feels more durable at this point. Maybe that's crazy. But uh, I think that you know, when you, the, the old adage or the new old adage, or, you know, when you, when you see when you see tangible changes and then the, the results you know, go along with it, then you, you feel a little better about, you know, it's not just, oh, I don't know what he's doing, but you, you know, you can see the curveball usage and you see what he's done with that pitch and, and everything has just sort of gone up uh, from there. And uh, until other teams figure it out, uh, he's going to be really tough to hit because that, that stuff is real, really good. Yeah. I mean, the stuff was good, as you say, like when they signed him, they saw something in him. People made a bajillion Robert E. Ray comparisons. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you add the curveball to us. It's like, okay, you already have good stuff. And then you found another good secondary pitch. And the strike throwing, you know, it just improved as the season has gone on. You know, he's got th two walks in his last three starts, uh, all of which have gone more than six innings. Like, again, these are the type of numbers that just don't seem to make sense based on what we saw last season. And the home runs is a huge thing because that's always yes. been the problem. Like, even... Yeah when he was good earlier in the year it's like man he's given up a lot of home runs and he's always given up a lot of home runs and 
it can home runs can seem like a bit of a, a fluky stat sometimes a little bit of um, magic dust what ballpark is he in what's the wind where is the wind blowing did the guy hit the meatball or did he just foul it back and so some of that is not always in a pitcher's control but when i see a guy like kikuchi who hasn't given up a home run in six starts to me that tells a lot and you, you can see it watching the game too you don't have to put a number to it but home runs are often like a really good indication of command like if a guy the guy may be throwing strikes may not be walking people but if he's just kind of putting it in the zone without a care to where in the zone is going that's when home run totals tend to climb and that's often what's happened with Kikuchi's like he needs a strike so he just he just throws a fastball in there he throws a strike he throws a slider he just needs to put in the zone because he's behind um or even just to try and get ahead of people to gain confidence like he's just there have been a lot of times where he just he's in desperate need of that strike and then next thing you know he can't really bite an edge and he's got a home run and now it just seems like He's doing a better job of throwing not just strikes, but quality strikes. And when he's not giving up home runs, it's like, here's a guy who maybe, you know, his walks will probably creep up a little bit. But the way he's able to strike guys out, how hard he, difficult he is to hit hard when he's not throwing meatballs, like the home runs is the thing that's always felt like it's going to hold him back no matter what, because he's just going to always need to really minimize base runners or, out the, or else the runs against him are going to explode. And when that doesn't happen and the run and the base runners are less likely to be costly and he can sprinkle six hits, seven hits over an outing without that turning into some massive inning here or there. And, you know, you can have those, yeah, those outings where he goes six innings and gives up seven hits and it's fine it's one run and that's just such a big difference and always having having to worry of the, about the specter of the long ball and it's not like that's mm-hmm. gonna go away forever but that used to, he used to be quite literally like the worst starter in baseball in terms of going up home runs and that's not just in the bad 2022 that was like most of 2023 and previous years as well like he, this this is something he was literally the worst starter in baseball at and suddenly he's at least gotten under control a little bit and that that could have a profound effect on his ceiling if he's able to if that's something that persists and it is a bit of a weird stat it is hard to know but that is really the key because that was that was just holding it really was holding him back and limiting what he could be the fact that the home run was always such a threat against him yeah, and and I mean that was what you know, that and the walks contributed to to twenty twenty two so much, right? Like where you know it, it wasn't just it wasn't one or the other. It was that he'd give up one and then he would give up the other, and and you know just innings would go so so sideways on him. Um, yeah, I mean it just the the, the kind the home run quality contact has not been there for a little bit. They're just not. Uh, not able to square him up in that kind of way so far. I, I, you know, I, I can't, I can't explain it either. It's definitely something that, you know, I think we're moving a little bit away from the era of okay, the, uh, you know, home runs per fly ball is going to regress to to a certain amount, and and that you know it just fluctuates year to year, and there's no real control over it. There is, I think, in a, a measure of, of it, but how much of it. <laughs> how much of it any given pitcher has is really hard to say but you can't not be encouraged by it yeah and like literally i mean I'm only half joking on twitter talking about like he's the new he's the game two starter in the playoffs and i you know probably not but uh i always got he's still got six weeks to go out and and, and take that job from jose barrios uh maybe from chris bassett but you know it, he's a dynamic guy when it actually works and you know give him Give him like another ten starts with maybe only one or two clunkers in there, and you're feeling pretty good about him. Yeah, no, I think there's a very real, and maybe this will sound absolutely ridiculous in six weeks because you know whenever you talk about guys at the very height or very low ebb of their production, there's a decent chance that the pendulum it will swing. <laughs> it's not going to go on forever, really. But <laughs> but it, yeah, there's a very real possibility that he's a playoff starter for this team yeah. because his you know his ceiling is a little bit higher than Bass and Brios in based on what we've seen. Like the sort of run he's going on now is just not. I just don't think it's as reasonable to assume that. I mean, Bassett kind of did it earlier in the year, but it just seems much less likely one of those guys is going to put something like that together. 
And there, you know, there's some kind of stack ass stuff underlying this too. Like if you look at his last six outings, he's given up two barrels in in six outings, and the hard hit rate against him is twenty eight point six. Like that's that's extremely low for what we come to expect from him. So again, whenever you're dealing with stuff people are doing against you, it's hard to gauge exactly a hundred percent what your control over that is, but. Yeah, he his raw stuff is there. It's always been there. He's controlling it. He's commanding it. The results are fantastic. It is uh yeah, I don't know. Like right if the playoffs started <laughs> right now, sure, make him the second starter. Uh but 6 weeks is a, is a long time to for something to go wrong or for something to go right for a different guy. But it it is again, it, all, whenever we're dealing with anything to do with Kikuchi, you just want to take a step back and say, I'd love to go in a time machine to the end of 2022 and tell myself this is how Kikuchi's season plays out in 2023. Like I literally wrote a piece for Sportsnet about how guys who have seasons as bad as Kikuchi's in 2022 <laughs> basically never bounce back in a like in a reasonable way. Like they almost never produce like a league average season again, like in their whole careers. And here we are watching him, you know put together this even if this season is not as amazing it's been the last six starts or whatever from here on out like it is an amazing accomplishment it is a great story and the blue jays team again the narrative has often been one of underachievement and it is okay to spend a little bit of time basking in the insanity and the joy of what this you say kikuchi <laughs> campaign has been yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and small tangent, but also when it's taken away from how well Jose Barrios has bounced back, which is you know a little more uh, in line with his norms, and it would it would be much more of a story, I think, were it not for the insane uh, Kikuchi story going on right next to it. Yeah, you know, I mean the the Barrios one would absolutely be yeah, that potentially could have easily been the best story surrounding the Blue Jays, like Barrios ERA right now. Of, 353 and in 2021 when the blue jays got him and there's all that talk of how great he was it was 352 like he's been you know there's you can dig into the peripherals it's not been quite that good in a couple places but man yeah he's been that guy that he's been for most of his career and it's you know this is keeping the blue jays afloat here 0.5 when you're talking about being 0.5 games into a playoff spot Every little thing that goes <laughs> has been going right uh is the thing you can ascribe to being in that position yeah, accurate. Before we get out of here, this is not exactly breaking news, but we do have a weekly podcast, and sometimes we got to reach back into stuff we missed last time because it happened shortly after us recording. And we are talking about the rotation. I do want to talk about the Blue Jays picking Ryu over Manoa, essentially, like sending Manoa back to the minor leagues and kind of what you think of that decision. Like, are we going to see Manoa again in 2022? There's not a lot of time left for that to happen. Is as Ryu's starts been good enough to make this feel like the right move? Like I, I, I find myself slightly conflicted about this. I do get it because it's you know it's the easiest move, right? Whenever a move happens, yeah. it's always very easy to say, "Oh, who had options? What is the kind of best way to shuffle this around roster wise and not lose somebody?" That's often what you can ascribe to a lot of moves that happen. But we're also you know, we're coming to the end of a season, we're in a close race and reuse contracts expiring at the end of this year. Like if you really believed that Manoa gave you a better chance than Ryu, keeping Ryu in the organization at this point is not a big deal. And yet that's what they chose to do. Yeah, it is. It, it's definitely interesting. It's definitely, um, you know, I understand why it's a question. I think you're right, though. The options are, are a huge factor. It just feels like a spring training thing where it's like, okay, you know, maybe one guy edged the other in terms of performance, but but the the reason we're going to go with the other guy instead of the one who's maybe slightly better is, which I don't know that I would say Manoa has been, but like Ryu hasn't been, you know, when Ryu's been impressive, it's been against teams where, yeah, he should be impressive and, and they don't hit lefties well. And, and you know, I, 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 some of the praise that we've seen uh, – Feels a little wish casty, uh, you know, coming from the organization about how he's, you know, right, he's back, you know, looking like that. It's like, I don't know if he really has. Uh, the velocity is a thing. Uh, hope he is. Love, love watching Ryu pitch. Obviously, like, like, can't, you know, don't have a bad word to say about him, but, um, but yeah, I think it's just, it is the easy decision, right? And it's like, Manoa has options. Manoa probably shouldn't have come up as early as he, he did, as quickly as he did, uh, and wouldn't have if there was a more viable, uh, fifth option at the time. Um, 
you know, and you can give Ryu some run without, you know, uh, shedding that depth, which, you know, you might you might just end up needing him and Manoa both, you know, depending on how things go down the stretch. Uh, injuries can always crop up. Uh, so, I, you know, I get that you wouldn't want to shed the depth right now, and I get the, that, you know, Manoa could benefit from some starts in the minors. Uh, Ryu, we can see what he what he does, and, and, you know, and if that keeps going, then uh, then you're all the better off for it. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know that it's... Uh, I, I don't know that it's that big or damning that they didn't choose Manoa here just because of that situation. I think it's you know sort of worse that you know he's in the situation in the first place. Yeah, I, I think that the reality is if you were really confident that in any given game Manoa was a better option than Ryu, you cut Ryu loose. But Manoa hadn't risen to that level. Like he had, no. he had started to strike guys out again a little bit, which was an encouraging sign. But he hadn't been great since they brought him back. Like he'd been sort of performing like a fifth starter, essentially. So I think the Blue Jays kind of decided, well, one fifth starter is as good as the other one. And, you know, in Ryu's last start, you know, five scoreless innings, you know, he looked good against Cleveland. Again, the velocity isn't back. He's not striking anyone out. And yeah, like I'm not super hopeful that Ryu's going to be great down the stretch. It would be fun to see. As he said, he's a, he's a great pitcher to watch. But Maybe there's also the factor that the Blue Jays have a pretty good defense now, and maybe they feel like they're a little bit more able to weather um, some of the fact that Ryu is basically going to give up a bunch of balls in play. And to be fair, against the Cubs and against Cleveland, they weren't hard-hit balls, generally speaking. But again, as you said, the lineups he was facing was relevant. If he faced a really good lineup with a bunch of big slugging righties like i'm not feeling like oh he's gonna shut these guys down <laughs> carving them up yeah um but yeah I, I think it the even though this is the easy move and so you could predict like oh this is the move most likely to happen really the onus was on manoa to to make it worth them making the harder move and yeah. he didn't do that and uh like you said i think that it's it's sort of unfortunate the way things have played out like and arguably a perfect world for the Blue Jays would have been that Ryu was ready a little bit earlier. Not that that would have been realistic, sort of based on the severity of his injury. But then they never, they kind of, yeah, they pushed Manoa back a little bit early because they really needed somebody. And, and I think he probably would have been better off spending that time in the minors because I'm not sure how much he's sort of learned since he's been up here. And it's, uh, yeah, it, it, I think it just kind of reinforces the notion that one little holiday in the minors, a couple starts, wasn't necessarily going to fix this guy. And it's, you know, the Manoa situation is going to be absolutely fascinating to monitor, you know, even heading into next year and the next months. Oh, yeah. And it's, I think a lot of people assume that it would sort of click sooner than later or even click to the level that, he was, uh, you know, like a reliable fourth guy. Not even that he would get that ace level back or whatever, but he would come back and you'd be like, oh, Manoa's on the hill. That's a decent situation for the Blue Jays to be in. And that's a relatively low bar considering his previous production. And he never met that bar. And so there's just going to be a ton of questions about this guy for the foreseeable future. And we may not see him again. And so it might be next year's spring training we're waiting to get a look at this guy and see like is that 2022 Manoa coming back and that is a question that you know that'll really hang over this franchise because he's an he he can be an absolutely massive building block he just hasn't hasn't lived up to that this year uh, and it, it was his own massive uh, yeah it, it is it, it is fascinating um also, I mean, I guess he got up to he almost got up to 200 innings last year. I mean, I guess it's not too much too much of a worry that he's going to take a step back in terms of uh, like innings pitched this year. But uh, maybe that's that's the least of their concerns, I guess, at this point with him. Um, you know, you'd like to think that yeah, they could go forward with him as as uh, a big part of the rotation. Maybe he figures it out. Hopefully, he figures it out. But but yeah, it's sort of the. Uh, we like we may still see him, like you say. Like I, I, I agree on Ryu <laughs> that um, really hopeful that it, that it works. But but there may be a need for Manoa at some point, uh, and hopefully he'll be done some good by being in the minors. I haven't has he even started yet. Yeah, I don't even know if I've seen. Uh, I'm not sure. Take the ball yet for Buffalo. Um, but yeah, uh, I suspect we'll be talking about him uh, many months <laughs> into the future. Um, because it's also, you know, a question of roster building. Like, how do you build your rotation next year? What, 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 you know, what plans do you have 
How, how do you build contingencies for uh, what you think is going to happen there? What's he going to do over the winter to uh, get back to where he needs to be? What does he think he needs to do? What do the Jays think he needs to do? Um, uh, it's, it's all, you know, I'm waiting for the best shape of my life uh, tweets next spring already. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting because you could theoretically set it and forget it, right? Like let Ryu walk, assume Manoa is going to take one of those spots. But at this point, you do have to build in contingencies. Absolutely. It kind of reminds me of the situation with Ricky Romero back in the day. And again, this yeah. is not, I'm not saying right. he's no, absolutely yeah, yeah. done in the way that sort of Romero was, but they had this team in 2013 where they had, where Romero had been good in the past, but then he had really struggled and they brought him back and they're like, well, he can at least sort of be the fifth starter and it's fine um, because we brought all these other guys in and they've kind of overtaken him, but that's cool because the pressure will be off and he, in a small role, you know, he, he'll find his way back. <laughs> and, uh, jo- and Josh Johnson will stay healthy and like jo- he always yeah, does. And, but like, and the, at the time that seemed reasonable. It was like, man, his 2012 was a brutal season, but we know this guy is good and he's been good at, for us in the past. And so if we kind of reduce the role, reduce the expectations, he can be a big part of this winning, you know, this the famously winning 2013 Blue Jays, who as everyone <laughs> remember, uh, brought home a World Series title. So <laughs> I, believe, yeah, I believe they did that in December. Yeah, it was, it was one of the year, yeah. earliest World Series ever won. <laughs> and then, you know, Ricky Romero pitched 7.1 more major league innings in his entire career. And again, like this is not me saying, oh, Manola is absolutely done. I mean, that's foolish because he's been so young and so good. And he, well, he hasn't been so young. He is so young. Uh, he's been even younger in the past. That's true. And he hasn't had sort of the same kind of injury. I know Romero pitched, but he pitched through, you know, injuries and whatnot. And so I don't know if he had the same physical concerns as Romero had at that time, yada, yada, yada. But, but it does oh. remind me of that situation. Romero's knees were shredded, right? So, yeah. Yeah, where it's just like, okay, well, you know, we have no idea what he's going to be, but he'll be at least a fifth starter, right? It's like, yeah, yeah <laughs> maybe. Uh, I think he probably, I think he probably would be. If you put a gun to my head and said, "Will Manoa be at least as good as a fifth starter in 2024?" I believe I'd say yes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll say yes. I don't want to. I don't want to invite saying no onto the world. Uh, so yeah, he'll be fine. He'll figure it out. I mean, yeah, you could say no and not sound like an idiot, but uh, I think the science is with yes right now. <laughs> for now, fair. All right, we're gonna leave it there. Episode one one one. Thank you everyone for tuning into Blue Jays Happy Hour. We will be back with you next week. And as always, we appreciate any ratings, reviews, those kind of things you want to do. Tell everyone you know about our existence. Yada yada yada. You know. What, how podcasts work. So we will see you next week. Hey, my name is hard, though.